Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Geet Coast Lab podcast. My podcast. <laughs> it feels weird saying it that way. But uh, today I sat down with uh, Nicolas Arroyo. He's the partner, uh, co-founder, and foresight director at Bespoke, which is a futures design studio in Copenhagen. Most of those words are new to me too, so we <laughs> learned exactly what he does and what Bespoke does and got into a wide-ranging conversation uh, in what futures design is as well as his journey from chile to living in copenhagen now and and what bespoke is doing working with amazing clients all around the world as well as you know some other interesting um, other interesting tidbits of his life and 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 it was a really great conversation so i really hope you enjoy it uh, i did and nicolas you're invited anytime to come back we had a really fun chat um the audio quality is a little sketchy at times and that's because the, the podcast was recorded remote because we're in covid uh, everything is remote and i'm learning the best tools uh for the for the for the job so but having said that the conversation and nicolas more than make up for the audio quality i hope you enjoy it thank you so much and uh see you around take care Thanks, man. Thanks for thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's we've been talking about this for a bit, so super cool that we're doing it. Uh, COVID COVID edition. So yeah. It's, uh, no, but thank you for making the time and uh, yeah, you know, for being uh, okay with my weird setup here. So I appreciate it. Um, cool. Why don't you start off by you know introducing yourself a little bit, uh, and then we'll get into it. We'll just see. We'll take it from there. Yeah. We see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm Nicolas Arroyo. Um, I am one of the founders of a company called Bespoke, uh, based here in Copenhagen. We are a futures design studio, uh, working with uh, yeah companies from all industries and sectors from around the world, uh, helping them understand the future and uh, look at the future with optimism and with hope, which is very important for us. Um, so we do a variety of, of different projects in different themes and topics. Um, and I come, I'm originally from Chile uh, in South America and been living here in Denmark for yeah about wow. 10 years now. So it's been, it's been a good, a good ride so far. Um, I have a background in, in art and architecture before and worked a lot in the design world, like as a creative director for a fashion brand before coming here. Um, and then I took a three years education that's called the Chaos Pilots, which is a education focused on enterprising leadership, uh, helping people kind of find find their, uh, their passion and finding ways mm -hmm. of making that come true. Um, so it's a very, very interesting place that where I met my, my partner, uh, my founding partner of Bespoke, uh, Rune. Um, so yeah, so, so we explored during those three years a variety of different things uh, in our education and the result of, of, of that was Bespoke. So we, Bespoke was our final project, you so, could say, like our thesis project. I want to, I want to third year at the end of the education. First of all, the name is amazing. I don't know who came up with it, but it sounds awesome. 
uh, and I have also met a lot of people who kind of done this Chaos Pilot program. I think your current uh, CEO, Dida, didn't she also do something similar or do the same program? Uh, yes, yes, she okay. also did the same program, well, but so uh, first a few of all, years tell before, me, before yeah, us. Yeah, but tell me what is what is. So Chaos I, I never Pilot? met her there. Like, yeah. Where you know what is it? Where is it? Like it's you know, what is it about? Like let's get into that a little bit. You know. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, the Chaos Pilots is, uh, is uh, like I said, an enterprising school leadership. Um, it's based in Aarhus here in Denmark, which is the second largest city in Denmark. Um, and it's, uh, it's been now almost, what, 25, 30 years. So, uh, so the focus is, uh, you said enterprising leadership, is that what the um, focus is? So it's like a leadership school, but... Right, right. Right, right. So, the, so the, the school has its origins a lot within like the cult, culture scene, you could say. So it was a bunch of young uh, kids who um, who wanted to kind of develop cultural projects and events and a variety of different interesting things. Um, so that's kind of what was the origins of, of the schools initially and slowly started evolving into a hybrid between, uh, you could say, a business school and a design school. So you learn a lot of kind of like business tools uh, and, and mindsets, uh, but with a lot of focus on design or innovation or creativity uh, and with a very strong kind of social uh, perspective. So like most projects, you know, they have a social component or they try to make the world uh, a little bit better somehow uh, and, and they do in different ways so a lot of the people that this is a three years program very focused on 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 those kind of keywords like leadership innovation design process design uh, business and um, so a lot of the people that graduates from these programs you know start their own businesses or become consultants or hold uh, leadership positions uh, there was a statistic, I don't remember the exact numbers a couple of years ago, but I think like a third of chaos pilots um, end up in jobs that didn't exist before uh, and in, in leadership positions that didn't exist before. So I think it's, uh, it's, it has a strong focus on learning how you learn, um, kind of finding your own ways of learning, being it's very experimental and very action oriented. So from day one, there's like real projects going on. Um, we work with real clients and real challenges. Um, so, so it's very, it's very action oriented. So for example, like my, my first project when, when, when I started, uh, there was a company back in the days, pre Tesla times, uh, it was called better place, which was, uh, yeah, uh, electric car company that partnered up with the Renault, I think, um, to make Denmark, uh, an electric car country oh wow so they they were prototyping in denmark and in israel um and it's one of the companies has gotten the biggest funding ever in history something wow. like that it's like a crazy story and i think they were just a couple of years maybe before Tesla. the electric car uh wave so maybe they were a little bit ahead of their time because yeah. it didn't take off but a lot of the infrastructure around copenhagen in denmark still from from the, those times like oh wow and it was called better place it's called Better Place, and we were working. Like our first project was like to make a campaign, an awareness campaign about this company. Um, so it was kind of like a real project that actually, you know, 
so we, so so you were like a i don't know bachelor master level student and then a it's a master's program or is it a bachelor's program what yeah is it? it's kind of like equivalent to like a to yeah to something like that uh but of course people come from different backgrounds so you have people that been to university has master's degrees and like had a formal education some that had businesses um uh, or did other kinds of like interesting projects so people come from from a variety of different like walks of life and the age is a little bit older as well than than when you started university so um so it's I, really when i was there it was around 25 years old or something like that so it's really like an eclectic group of people who would come from different walks of life you came from was it you came did you move to denmark from chile for this or or did you yeah 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 partly that was one of the i mean that was one of the reasons why i stayed mm. i was not planning to stay in denmark initially um but yeah I, I found the school i heard about it before when i was in architect school but i thought it was more of a like a design school but but then i was in aarhus um and and i met I met some people that came to the school and I just fell in love with the place. I was like, yeah. I need to go there. I have to go there because the projects, like they, they sounded so interesting and it was very hard to explain. And even today it's hard for me to explain what it is. But, yeah, but that's, but a, that's think, a trend but that it, carries through to Bespoke because I've known you for maybe a couple of years now and I still have no idea what Bespoke does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I know a little bit, so you have amazing clients, as you mentioned. So clearly you're doing something amazing, but uh you know i i want to dig into it a bit more uh, on, the, on the chat yeah, yeah, but, yeah but before we do that but you, you fall in love but you fall in love with the projects right because, yeah, yeah, because i remember, I remember one of the first projects i heard when i was there it was like that uh, some chaos pilots uh, did uh, a football match between the danish uh, the danish national team and the tibetan national team oh my god that's so cool uh, and and then they made a football match to bring the countries together and he created a bunch of uh problems with the Chinese embassy and the Chinese government, you know, so it was kind of this interesting, meaningful projects or one of the initial, pro one of the first projects when it started, it was, you know, a bun bunch of guys going to Moscow and making an electronic party. Uh, oh man, in, in, I, I already in love Moscow. this place. This is, so, I mean, I need to go here or, yeah. <laughs> or meet, meet the people who run yeah. it or something. So or, there's a lot of this, there's a lot of these myths, like urban myths of, of what happened. But, you know, every year there's like very interesting projects and, and, and I'm very, I'm super happy I went there because, I don't know, I just found a confidence that I didn't have before and, and just a confidence in my way of learning and, and yeah. things I wanted to do and that it was okay not knowing that you can always figure things out. Um, and, and I just got inspired by the people around. And, and, um, and today I, I go every year to teach. Uh, we're luck, very lucky that, that we're invited to, to teach the new students every year. And so we still have our connection there, which is, I think, super important it, for us to keep to keep that. It reminds me a little bit. My wife, she's Danish, and she went to something after finishing a high school called like a hoy school, uh, right. which is a very Danish concept, which, which right, is right. kind of like... I mean, it sounded like the best version of like the, the best of the hippie version with the best of sort of like skills and talent together. It was like, right. it's like, if you want to do art, you can do art. She, she, she used to be a singer. So she went to the singing mm. route. And I was like, when you're cool. 19 or 20 to get that kind of an open experience for an Indian, I'm like, what the fuck? That's great. Yeah. <laughs> like we are taught how to be like, okay, I, I don't know how it is in Chile, but like growing up, it's all about, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. you gotta be, you know, get a good job, be an engineer. My parents were entrepreneurs. So for me, it was always entrepreneurial route a bit more and they were a bit more open about stuff. But still, you know, it's about 
structure and education you, and, you have like a path right that you follow yeah, yeah. and i mean exactly. you can be a little bit i never liked that so probably that's why i was attracted more towards you know doing my own thing but still i think it's really it's really awesome i mean maybe we just take one step back like tell me how you've lived in denmark now for 10 years right and right. and have you and you lived in chile until you finished your university or your bachelor's and then so yeah so um, so bef bef yeah, I, I went to architect school and, and also art school, um, and then in the middle of my studies, I also started working in a in a fashion store, like in a in a clothing store, uh, as like as a part time job. I was actually just selling clothes. Uh, in, in Santiago in a, or, or where? In Santiago, yeah, in Santiago, um, and I don't know for some reason, you know, like. Uh, I got very like was a very good friend with the the, the main designer and, and and the creative director of the brand, and they started asking me for like drawings and because I was you know yeah I always been drawing and doing art, um so they started asking me for drawings and then we started doing prints in like clothing so suddenly I started getting into you know designing clothes I didn't study that and have no interest in it but but at the core is a creative thing and it's a it's a design process. So and was you know how to draw true. and you know how to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just fun. And then, and then he was like, Hey, do you rather work in the, in the studio rather than working, selling clothes? And I was like, sure. Like, you know, it's, it was mo much more of my thing. So then I started kind of learning, learning the craft of that without having any studies on it and helping on marketing and a lot of kind of all the creative kind of things. Uh, and he took me, both of them took me under their wing. So I was kind of learning all of these things. Um, and for some reasons, yeah, they kind of, they had to leave and I ended up taking their jobs somehow, uh, for like temporarily it was like, okay, I was the only one who kind of knew the nitty gritty of how the, that part worked. And then there was new owners, like they bought the new owners, bought the company. And then they say like, can you take care of this for, for a while? Like until we find new people to, to, to take on that. And then I was like, sure, like I, I, I can do it. And then I was what, 21, 22 years old. Yeah. Um, and it went really well. So then I stayed there for, for, for a while. Um, we had factories in Argentina. So it was so, pretty fun so, to like go back and forth. So when you say you took over. So just, just, so when you say you took over, were you kind of like the creative director or like, right. you were doing, yes, everything. you were doing the, the, the designs and you were getting that made and you yep. had a team under you and everything. So, yep. We had like, uh, we started doing collections and like planning the whole collection thing. And what was the name of the brand? Uh, it was called, um, parentheses before, and then it was called Bautista afterwards. Nice. Ba Bautista? The, the new Bautista. Yeah. Bautista. Cool. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was really fun, uh, good times. And I, I, and I learned a lot, especially because I had the experience before, you know, just, just being curious, asking the tailor and people kind of like making the prototypes and all of that. I was just very curious about that. So I kind of knew what was possible. So when I had to design things that were real, um, it was very efi efficient, you know, because I knew what was possible with what fabrics and with our suppliers and all of that uh, and some and then I, I saw that sometimes people just coming out of school out of design school 
they 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 will make all of these crazy ideas, but then they were very hard to execute. Hmm. So so I saw I saw that kind of there was a gap between what you were being told in school versus kind of the real experience of running a business, for example, which does you kind of need to bridge that. So how do you bridge the crazy ideas and actually make them make them happen? So I think that was something that it was very visible for me that um, that I, I was not learning at school. And, and then when I found chaos pilots here, I was looking for that without even knowing it. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that that was it, but, but by going through, through chaos pilots, I, I learned that it was about bridging that, that gap between, but, but, you know, but what you want to do and what you're able to do. And, and how and did, actually but be, how did you, why did you leave Santiago and, and how did you end up coming here? What was that journey? Like, was it, oh, you want to go to chaos pilots? You heard about this awesome school or? What ha what no, no, no. Initially, it was uh, I had a, a girlfriend, a Danish girlfriend, uh, and we lived together in Chile for for a while, and then we we planned to to come to Europe, um, and we went to Aarhus because she was finishing some studies there. So it was it was supposed to be a very short time. Yeah. Um, we had other plans, maybe going somewhere else to like London or Madrid or somewhere else. Yeah. But yeah, it didn't happen, and 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 then I, I, yeah, I got to know the school, and and I, I remembered, oh, this was the chaos pilot, so maybe you should go check it out. And I went to the school, and I met, you know, like first person I met gave me a hug, and I was like, well, wow, this place is <laughs> like very very friendly and very yeah very interesting projects. So then I applied, and it's a very hard process to get in, and and and, and yeah. It was very complicated and I was not sure if I was going to stay in Denmark at all. So, but I, yeah, short story, like I got in and then I was, okay, let's stay here for three more years and see what happens. But then we started bespoke and then things so, started, started solidifying in a different way. So you said that bespoke, you met, you met Huna, your co-founder um, with uh, at Chaos Pilots, you studied together or? or? Right. So yeah. we were in the same in the same team and uh, we did like so many projects together, like those first projects. For some reason, we were always together, like first out of uh, just random. Uh, uh, we were assigned randomly to be together and we had really good experiences because Rune comes from uh, advertising and design. Mm. So we had something in common there, yeah. very different experiences, but like we had something in common and we I think we were both, you know, we had a craft that was kind of that we wanted to use and that was very important for us. So, so we found kind of like a affinity together, um, working together and it was just fun. So then we did a lot of other projects together through the education um, and we even did a documentary in Bolivia in in 2012. Like we got a, a grant from the Danish government to do a documentary. So we, we even went to Bolivia and did a, a, a documentary there. What was the documentary? In our, in our vacation. Uh, it was, uh, uh, have you been to Bolivia? No. I've never been to Latin uh, America. That's okay. one of my, okay. one of my. Because I remember maybe you were there. No, no but in Bolivia, I, this. I have a story with Santiago, but we can talk about it later. No, but go on. Yes, yes. Um, no, there's this huge lake in Bolivia. It's called the uh, Uyuni Salt Lake. It's, I think I, it's the biggest I think salt I've, lake I've heard in the of world. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's massive, man. It's massive. It's just, it's beautiful. I think like if you go on a car, you know, like full in, it takes you like four hours to cross it. It's, wow. it's tremendous. It's wow. just flat. Um, yeah, so we went there and did a story about a salt worker. There's like a, a lot of whole communities around the lake and, and, and the salt workers that extract the salt 
and you know they get paid like I don't know 200 crowns for every 40 tons or something like that you know it's like yeah. it's, a, it's like it's just the amount of work it's insane but it's also a beautiful place and um so we were very lucky to 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 be there and and, and film that so awesome. it's somewhere in Vimeo and we got a second place somewhere in some film uh, co uh, competition that we were the only ones that were not like a film uh, but, but I film, think, film guys but i think what's really interesting with your with this whole chaos pilot experience at least it feels like you know you you learned i think you said it when you were talking about it you learned how to learn in a way you yes. sort of were like okay let's make a film let's you know make a marketing campaign let's launch a product let's you know this you you just mentioned like four or five things which would be four or five degrees which would take like 15 years right right, had, right or right, 20 right. years if you had to study it you know yes uh yeah and i think it comes from this principle that come from this principle that i think like information and knowledge is out there like it's everywhere and it's been there for a while now i think um maybe uh, yeah with the internet and so it's not about going to a place to get the knowledge necessarily. It's, it's like you need to go to a to learn in a place to have an experience, you know, and 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 be critical and reflect and hear other people's experience. And no. so it's not too much about the what you're learning, but more like how are you learning and in which context and learning yeah. like what works for you, man. Like because like some people like to read books, some people like to listen to podcasts or uh, talk to other people. And so there's many ways. And, and, and I think what I really like about the Chaos Pilots is that allows you to, and well, they demand from you that you make learning strategies, for example, you have to make a learning strategy. You need to say, how am I going, I have a project, I have a client, how am I going to learn here? And, and it's up to you to figure it out. You have to figure it out. So that, I think that's very, it gives you agency and it gives you like, nobody's going to tell you how to do it. No. Like They might give you some suggestions and you have great lectures that give you a lot of interesting things to pick and choose, but it's your job, it's your client, like you're putting your name out there. So like you better do a good job. So I really like that. And, and they've been running with that principle for many, many years. And, um, and they were very like on forward thinking you know, like in, on the leading edge of, of this new learning paradigm. Uh, and I think now traditional institutions are catching up to that because that's, you know, that's, that's yeah, what we I have mean, to do, you know? I went to university in, in, in the Netherlands and I like, I wish we had a course or at least a couple of, you know, sections on this because you just go in and you're like, okay, here's a book, read the book, here's the exam, here's do the exam. And then the day after the exam, you're like, okay, what was microeconomics again? Like, you know, you don't really, you know, you're not, right. it's just like, and I think, and for me, I think what's really interesting is that how to learn and how to apply, you know, kind of this foundational layer of, you know, okay, wh how, how, what is important to me? How do I learn? How do I, you know, in, in the world where, like you said, knowledge is abundant, like there's knowledge everywhere. It's about applying it to you and to yourself. And I think it's like exactly. very few people, I feel ever in their life learned this so i think it's a it's a real i mean it's an amazing um, gift and blessing or whatever you want to call it that you found this school and that you spent your effort and learned it and now you're kind of teaching so it's great um but there is this i mean like you are you went to chaos pilots and we don't have to talk about chaos pilots too much longer if you don't want to but i think i just find it if it seems to me that it's such a foundational part of your story right because it mm. feels like 
of course you were adventurous and you you know you you became a creative director at 21 22 of a of, of, of mm. fashion label that doesn't happen often but still i think i feel like let's talk about now from chaos pilots your final project bespoke talk about that period and the foundations of bespoke now that we have an understanding of what chaos pilot is <laughs> like, let's let's get into what how bespoke came out and what and what was it and what is it now so yeah 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 so in all of this context of of uh learning i think what we were talking about um our our final project at the chaos pilots it has changed a little bit now over the years but when we were there you had a full year to do something that was meaningful to you and hopefully something that you wanted to make a living out of it afterwards so that's kind of like some of the intentions or try something new right uh, and Ronnie and I we were always talking about partnering up for that and and but we didn't know really what it was so we had a few keywords we had you know we had uh, creative processes and innovation um, and communication and then we also have a very strong component of foresight and futures thinking we had a we had a lecture at chaos pilots at some point which is a guy called Matthew Linsis from Canada which was the VP of foresight at a company called Idea Couture back in the days and he's been you know working in in the field of foresight for many years and also very kind of like he's also a designer and, and a graffiti artist so he, he he kind of brings a lot of this more like design mindsets into the world of, of futures which is traditionally much more academic uh, when you talk about like strategic foresight as an academic discipline is is quite it's quite um yeah a brainy a brainy part but but we could see that he was applying some some methods from design and we found that that was really interesting we got really inspired by his lecture i think half the class was really excited and the other half was like what is this like i don't get it like it was because it was way too much input right and very exciting and and we just loved it and and then we developed a good relationship with him like we became friends he became a mentor uh we started learning a lot from him and so this area of foresight became something that we wanted to explore but we didn't know how so what we decided it was to do like uh, as many projects as we could in those in those in that year so we had i don't know like nine or ten different projects with different clients uh, in sweden in denmark in germany in different parts some bigger clients like a big uh, fashion brand in germany uh, and small clients here in denmark so kind of with the whole purpose of just just get data like learn so, like, okay, so, what what do we want to do like what what is it that we can offer and how does that work and can we get paid from it so it was more of a we wanted to fail kind of like we wanted to before, fail before, in order to learn just sorry to interrupt but before we go there i just want to really understand what is futures design and what is foresight because you said these words right. uh, which i think you a couple of times you know what it means but to me and yes. i think most people listening at least i'm like okay foresight th foresight thinking or force or uh, futures design i think you said yes could you dig a little deeper into what those are and 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 you know and and, and why do companies want that knowledge or understanding just i mean maybe right. i'm not phrasing yeah, yeah. it right but uh, these are new words to me so of course of course yeah so so like foresight is you know, it's the ability to you know look towards the future right and and that if if we think of it as a discipline that's been always with us like uh, in the past cities use foresight to design how they will look like right so copenhagen is a city that has that is designed or the original 
Copenhagen city is, is designed with foresight, you know, it's designed to avoid invaders. So it's a way of protecting the status quo, mm. right? So you think, you try to think, okay, based on what I know today, what could happen potentially? Okay, there might be another country that will want to invade us. And the only way they can get here is through like water. So let's fortify the water, right? In order to be prepared for that. So, so that's kind of, we always have used foresight, right? Um, which is different from like, you know, trying to predict the future in a crystal ball and, and trying to make uh, prophecies and things like that, right? Uh, so there's always like this, conf this confusion, like in, in the foresight practice, there is still an element of knowing that that is not necessarily what's going to happen. Yeah, you're you not, know, you're not trying you're not saying that, oh, guaranteed, this is going to happen. You're just preparing for multiple. You're trying to yeah. be ready, right? Yeah. So you want to be prepared. Hmm. Um, but but it's not about predicting what would happen, but it's more like, how can you be as ready as you can for potential threats or potential opportunities, right? Um, so that's been always with us in, in society, right? And, and but more particularly in, in, in the in the 60s and 70s, um, big companies started using this mindset as a way of also influencing their business strategies. So one of the big ones was Shell, actually, the oil company yeah. that used for foresight practices a lot and has developed a very strong arm in foresight practices uh, as a way of exploring, because there are global companies exploring global forces and global drivers that might affect them eventually. So, so they will look not only up at oil prices or oil consumption, but they will look at I don't know how the AIDS epidemic is uh, spreading through Africa, for example, because that will have an effect on the economies in different parts of the world and therefore supply chains and therefore yada, yada, yada. So there's like a, a chain of events that sometimes start from a disease we can see today mm, with COVID-19. Yeah. Like so they, they are very curious to explore other things beyond their industry. Um, so that kind of like, so the, for many decades, like big companies are using, they use those practices of course, and governments as well. Um, and for the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, we can see that these future practices are, are more used in the world of design as well, um, and innovation as, as, a, as a tool for innovation. So instead of looking at this bottle and Think, oh how can we make this bottle cooler and like different and new you look into okay what kind of liquids will people or my people drink in the future mm. uh, what will be the relationship be, like what kind of foods people will drink in the future uh, due to I don't know climate change or new diets or new behaviors that are emerging um, and there, and then you can see, oh, how can I use that knowledge to maybe make a new bottle that might be the bottle of the future? Yeah. Right. So, so it starts. You start by. You you start by looking at what what is happening today. So you try to look for we call them weak signals. So small things that are happening today, uh, that might tell you how things could potentially evolve in the future. Right. Could you so, give me an so, example of a weak signal? In, 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 um, a, in a context in the context of a client that you can talk about maybe or anything yeah 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 i'm thinking well i mean if we go back to like the electric cars for example yeah like good idea this uh this uh you know i think was in 2007 or 6 that tesla released kind of like a prototype for the model s yeah the roadster um, the roadster 
Yeah, but I think actually afterwards, oh, okay. after the road start. Yeah. yeah. And and that was an affair. Uh, and it was just a prototype, right? They was they had no idea how to scale that or how to make it into a viable business, of course, right? But at that point, you could say, oh, this is a weak signal of a technology, which is like, you know, batteries and electric cars that is entering uh, the mass market, right? So like, because they wanted to make sedan cars to make them more like massive, right? It was not very strong, but you could say back then in 2006, uh, seven, eight, you could say this is a small signal of something that could potentially evolve in, I don't know, maybe there will be all sedans will be electric one mm. day. So that was very crazy to think about um, 15 years ago, but now we can see that that's where we're going. And and Tesla, of course, has been the one of the, one of the main drivers of that change. But now every company is investing on electric vehicles, uh, not only on, on uh, expensive ones, but, you know, kind of like more mainstream ones. So I think those kind of things that are constantly happening around us that you see, oh, this is a, this could be something small. It's not there yet, but you can take it and you can speculate about what will be the, the potential of that. Or just this. I mean, like this is a green smoothie that you can buy in 7-Eleven. And... A couple of years ago, this was insane. Like, who will be buying green smoothies in 7-Eleven where you could only get, get like, Coca-Cola and beer and, like, crappy snacks, yeah. right? And now you could see that 7-Eleven is one of, at least here in Denmark. But Denmark 7-Eleven is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing, you know? It's, like, uh, luxurious and, like, very healthy and yeah. very clean. But that's a change that has happened over the last few years. Um, so we try to, in our practice, what we do is to like do, we call that scanning. We are scanning for those signals. You're trying to collect this potential forces. Some, they could be trends, they could be just new technologies or new behaviors. Um, but when you collect them all and you have a, 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 like a mass of those, suddenly you start seeing patterns yeah. and you start seeing connections and things start becoming not as weak as you thought. Maybe there are um, there are all the forces that are supporting a certain trend or a certain tendency, yep. right? So with with the example of electric cars, um, yes, that was you know going to a fair and seeing a prototype of a Tesla sedan. That's one signal, but then you could also look at other signals regarding that. So maybe you know there were policies that were trying to make batteries cheaper. You saw climate change that will force industries to change from fossil fuels to electricity, you know, and yeah. all of that together creates a good picture of how the future might look like, not what will happen, but it's more like, it's more about get, generating a sense of landscape yeah. of what could potentially happen, right? Yeah, so if, first of all, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I have a metaphor in my, my head of like surfing. It's kind of like, you know, you're like looking for the waves and you see, right. okay, there's a, that could be a good wave. So you're going to go out there and try to catch that wave. And maybe you don't catch exactly. it, but an experience. But you know it. Yeah, but you know that's there. There's yeah, something yeah. coming, and maybe that's not a wave, or you know, maybe it's uh, you know um, the wrong time or whatever, right? But I think it's it's funny because everything when you were talking about what futures design is, it's like as a startup entrepreneur, as a startup builder, like that's kind of what I do. But I just don't formalize. I haven't formalized it uh, in in the in, in, way. in the way yeah. you have. And I think it's kind of interesting. 
to hear it from your perspective because when you were talking about it, I was like, I feel like I do that a little bit, but in not, yes, in yes, not yes. as organized a manner as bespoke does, of course. But it's not, it's not, uh, it's not rocket science in that way. And, and I think like most of the, you could say the, the most creative people, the most innovative people, they do that naturally. You yeah. know, like if you think of, uh, from Da Vinci and uh, Michelangelo and yeah. Marie Curie and Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, like they are people that, you know, they, they work like they know a lot of things across a lot of domains and they're able to go in depth into into specific ones so, right so yeah. but but that's some for some people they're just naturally curious like you're uh, if you're a creative person you're naturally curious about like reading different things and new technologies but that's not the norm in many cases especially in organizations so like I, uh, if a, a, ba a bank want to stay within finance yeah. but like our job is to tell them hey maybe you should look a little bit beyond finance because that might affect kind of like the future of of, of your services right yeah. so in a way bespoke is getting is giving uh, these bigger companies and smaller companies at times uh, who are ultra focused because they have to be to execute on what they're doing you're giving them a little bit of Steve Jobs, Elon Musk energy to say, okay, maybe look outside a little bit because maybe something from the left will come and totally disrupt your industry. Maybe something from the right is going to come and change everything you know to be true. Uh, and, right. and your job is to come and say, hey, okay, you know, like like the fort planners of Copenhagen uh, back in the days before the city was uh, you know built. You're like, hey, before the attack comes or before. Uh, it's too late to capture the opportunity. We're right. going to prepare you uh, with exactly with. I mean, and I think the last part of that sentence is with what do you? I mean, is it kind of it's different per client? But could you talk a little bit about mm. uh, in as much detail as point. you can? What do you give customers or clients? Uh, you know, is it a workshop? Is it more than that? Talk a bit about that. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's different for for every project, of course, uh, depending who, with who we're working with. Sometimes we work with innovation units or design yeah, units. Yeah, I have you. So I then, have like I have a screenshot from your website and, uh, because I had to take it because it looks so cool. It's I see yeah. like uh, you know L'Oreal, I see Starbucks, I see IKEA, Nivea, Microsoft, Audi. You know, I mean, like, uh, and European Commission, KPMG, like, these are amazing names. So I think, like, clearly, you know, what you're doing is very important. And these companies think yes. it's important, or organizations think it's important. I don't, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to set context for the people listening, the kind of things right. you're doing, because you're, I think you've become a little bit too Danish and a bit too modest in the stuff you do. You've been out of Latin America for a little bit too long. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, no, yeah. I'm joking. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think... You know, we, we, we work with like amazing companies yeah. and that's was also challenging sometimes because it makes most projects very, you know, confidential and very hard course, to share. Yeah. And that that's one of the things that, that we struggle with is like, is very, like we can share like only like 10% of what, what we do. Yeah. Because uh, most things, a lot of these things are very strategic. So yeah. it's about how these companies will move for the next five or 10 years. Where are they betting their energy and resources? Yeah. So, so they're very, they're very like careful into like what is, what's being shared. Um, so that's kind of like the that's no, but I interrupted. the, the you challenge saying, that we have. You were saying something about an organization. You were like you were starting on. You were saying something about you did something for. An organization. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah. So I was talking about kind of like how does this look like when we deliver something? And, yeah. and 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 I was saying that it's very. It depends a lot on who we work with because when we work with an innovation team or design team, it's more about getting this mosaic of 
signals and potential and saying, okay, we have 10 possible directions here. Uh, and then they can take that and then they can run and make them more like, um, you could say, innovation sprints or like develop new products or new services because that's what they're really good at. Um, so our job ends more into like giving them a, a board with a variety of different directions and things that we see are happening today and might have an effect in the future, right? Um, but sometimes we also work with C-level and, and, and top executives when it becomes much more strategic and it becomes more about, about um, finding spaces where to, to bet, you know, like, yeah. okay, we want to go into this direction now. Like if we are a fossil fuel company, we want to go electric and then finding the arguments and the, you know, the waves that are supporting that that transition right so yeah. so it depends a lot into how like who is the receiver um but i would say that those are the main the two main uh outcomes it's like very strategic or very focused on like innovation and product creation yeah um and okay. of course you can you can use this in like any part of the organization like we we do huge projects where we involve um all kinds of units and departments from from an organization because like people from marketing can use it people from product development from r&d from c level so it it's very it also unifies how do we as a company as an organization what 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 is the future that we are seeing yeah. and in many cases it's not us telling them we are just facilitating the process like so so i think that's also something that we have we put a lot of effort in um, not being futurists. I no. think we, we really try to move away from the, the title of being a futurist because I don't know, I found it a little bit conflicting. I don't, I, I don't think I can tell people what will happen, but I can facilitate a process where we can find out possible scenarios and possible landscape. And that's much more valuable than me telling them like, Hey, uh, do this and yeah. that um, and of course you know we advise so we 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 give advice to, to companies and clients but but not in um, not in that way I think it's much more co-created so, yeah. it's much more about the, the is the process that's the valuable thing it's not the outcome we can create a beautiful like beautiful scenarios that look really cool and and have a cool website where you can go and explore these different things but actually the most important part is how you get there when you involve people so we focus a lot on the process so when we do this scanning for signals for example we do that as experts we have a certain expertise in different areas but we try to involve as many people as possible we have projects where we get like 200 employees doing scanning and coming up with what are, what do they think that's interesting and relevant because yeah i can tell you uh, ai it's going to be important for a company like ikea but you know everybody knows that. And but what I'm curious to hear is like, okay, what does the IT guy think about AI? What does the designer think about the impacts of AI? And even the people in the store, what do they think AI will uh, will impact them with? So, so I think I'm more curious about this kind of tri-dimensional view on topics rather than me as an expert just telling them um, kind yeah. of these absolutes, you know, like this. Uh, black and white kind of scenarios so in a way um you and I, and I and i want to talk about your team after this because i think there's some very interesting people uh that that make up bespoke um um but what i'm also just i think just to summarize what you said it's it feels like you go into an organization or you go into a company and 
you help them structure a way that they can actually utilize the 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 knowledge that exists in the company but maybe yeah. they're not giving it the light it, like they're, they're not focusing on it and i think of course exactly. you will bring in some external knowledge because you guys are on the cutting edge of a lot of research exactly. and knowledge but you also say hey you know like we want to we want to create a way in which like you said the it guy and the designer and the mechanic and the engineer uh, and and the C level, like they all kind of can add to this overall system of knowledge, which is very exactly. focused on this company, which then will produce certain artifacts, which could be, could be a book, could be uh, you know a workshop series, could be a film, could be anything which they will utilize in their strategic planning going forward. Right? Does that summarize exactly. it? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And it's very much. Um... Yeah, f focus on the process part. Like, yeah. How do we do this together? Um, yeah. I think we had like some like a good example. For example, we were working with a big beauty brand in Japan. Um, yeah, you guys we, are in Japan. All, I mean, before the pandemic, you were in Japan all the time. So all the time. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, 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 yeah. we love Japan. Yeah. We, we can talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, we were working with this with this Japanese beauty brand, and we got a bunch of PhD students in the company to we we train them with some basic tools and how to do some of the scanning techniques um so they were researching as well like this like brilliant minds which was yeah. amazing and and they're very you know phds in biologies and in chemistry and all that um but then we will come with a lot of cultural insights cultural perspectives so one of the things that for example we will come with is like hey this you know this whole microbiome culture uh, you know, like people drinking kombucha and trying like taking probiotics to cultivate the, the microbiome. And that now is also going into beauty products. So there's like sprays or like beauty creams or beauty sprays where with like microbes in it with microbiome. So because if you have microbiomes in your skin, apparently that's better, that right? Yeah. So, but that's kind of like almost like a cultural marketing observation, right? Um, and then we brought that and then they had a lot of research on the effects of microbiome in emotions and, and tactility and on the on the human skin. But because they are so focused on that, they were only focused on the, you could say, like the technicalities of it, like the biology and the chemistry of it. So they couldn't see how this could be applied or how could this be, how this knowledge could become a product eventually. Um, and, 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 and we were coming here with this very kind of like cultural observation and those th two things together create a very strong argument for developing a product on that line yeah right so so i think is is about kind of bridging those perspectives that sometimes especially in big organizations like most of our clients are very large organizations and they have amazing people like you know expert i i i'm not a beauty expert I, like they know more than me so how could I ever get to that level after many, many years of being working there? So I can only facilitate that space and I can only give kind of my expertise from maybe a cultural perspective or, or you know, trends and tendencies and things like that. But I cannot pretend that I'm a beauty expert uh, in such a short time. So it's kind of approaching those projects with humility and, and, and try to include the people as much as possible. And what's amazing about that is that when we present the outcomes, like everybody loves it because they know it. They know they know how they it came to life. You know, there's a whole you know there's a lot of iterations and how do we name this 
Uh, it takes time to name things mm -hmm. because names are so important and words are so important that they, they, they create reality and they define how we understand something. And they've been part of that. It's not just coming up, you know, we get a brief, see you in eight months, and then we do like a PowerPoint presentation that nobody will see afterwards. I think that's, that's the worst that can happen to us. That's our, that's our nightmare scenarios that, that we do that. And you can make a lot of money in it if in that kind of shelf kind of offers, but but I think it's not what excites us and what why we're here. So if we transition into your team, right, the team that makes up mm. uh, Bespoke, you and Rona started it. And it was, I mean, you guys were kind of, I don't know, tell me, tell me, tell me the leadership, tell me why you brought Dita on uh, recently and just talk about like the evolution from just the two of you to where you are now as a team. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, what do we we left uh, in, in the third year project that we had? Yeah, uh, so we before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but that's the best part. So uh, let's go back to that. You, we, we we took a, a branch yeah, but out. That's, that's, but, uh, that's the whole point of this podcast is to you know. Yeah, yeah so branch out to to get lost. Yeah, but just yeah, so to make this the story short, um, we did that third year. We we prototype a lot of different things, and we graduated. And we next day we were already working. Um, so we never we didn't have a vacation for a couple of years after that um and we're still in this process of like okay what is it what is our offer and slowly we got much more focus on on the futures part on the foresight part um and the first the first year was just the two of us working as consultants trying to do as many different projects as possible and then try to get rid of the confetti you know we call we call all of these projects that sometimes you need to do to pay the bills or to to you know to stay afloat we call that the confetti projects uh, and at some point it was like okay we need to stop doing this um we need to just focus on this on our methodology and we started teaching with with this canadian guy matt um we started doing a course together on foresight so we started developing tools for that course and started strengthening our methodology as well, um, which has been really key for us to to have a method. Uh, and there's many way, there's many features kind of frameworks and ways of working out there and design ways of working out there. But we kind of tried to coin ours, like a futures design bespoke methodology that based on our experience, just like. And uh, so every year we review it every year. It's kind of like we start building it from scratch and and we made a few publications, a few books on it. Uh, and that's been essential for us to 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 have that methodological part, because, you know, we run courses with other practitioners that want to learn this. So we we want to share it. Of course, we don't want to tie to it and, and, and keep it as a secret. We want to share it. We're very open about it. Uh, but then we like to structure our projects in that way, you know, because it's, it's based on our experience. Um, and it's also exciting that it keeps on changing. It's not static. It's not like uh, this is the method and then that's it. It's, it's, we're always trying to break it apart and try new things. Um, so, so yeah, so after a year, after kind of like and, the first and... year, the two of us, we had a, a, a one more person joining us. Uh, and slowly, yeah, we've been building a team around. We always with this question of like, should we grow a lot or should we keep it small? Because there's something very nice about being more boutique that allows us to have more flexibility. If you want to, you know, pivot to something else, it's much more easier. Um, and but at the same time, when we're working with some of these large clients, we also need some some power and some capacity to to 
to to work um, so, it's, so we're always in that in that balance between like you know how much should we scale the team how much should we keep it you know tight and and, and flexible um, because it's not our dream i think to necessarily build something very very large for the sake of making it large um, if it makes sense yes but if it doesn't i think is is we're more we really love the craft we really love like the the work itself um, and right now we have a really good balance that allows us to you know to have really good relationships with our clients we become friends with most of them and 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 we help them a lot in we try to make them shine and make their work shine and if if we grow too much then you can't really do that or give the the same amount of attention to everybody right yeah i i think i think there's i've i've learned as well right i want to have like um the best people in the world doing the work not paying not paying a big agency that hires somebody else to do the work but the guy right. is just like I, I i'm like i don't need like five account directors or account. like no 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 <laughs> take me to the place that is like world class where my money is going to be used in the best way so i don't want to go to right. you know uh, no offense to any big accounting firms but I'm a small <laughs> company. I would rather go to, you know, one person who's like an amazing accountant or a small boutique firm that I know when I call them, right. it's the guy working on my accounts. And I mean, maybe that's not the best analogy, not the sexiest analogy to futures design, but I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, like um, there's a lot of, I, I, I've built a couple of agencies myself in the past and uh, I, I definitely agree with that. I very much enjoy sort of building, crafting the product, doing the work mm. versus kind of, you know, bloating up the organizations for the sake mm. of having a big office, even though you guys have a very beautiful office and in one of the best parts of the city. Uh, yeah. But I think, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, I, so, yeah, absolutely. so, so you organically grew and how, how, when did the company, when did Bespoke start? It's been how many years now since you guys? That was uh, officially on 2014. So okay. that's sad as well. Seven years. <laughs> Seven years. Oh wow! Uh, but time. we started working like we started on the project. You could say on thirteen. So, it, so seven eight years now. Seven eight years, yeah. And yeah, so it's also you know, and, and everybody tells you, you know, I think when we started, it's like yeah, the first three years is very hard, and then after year five, things get more so, solid in a different way, and and that's been actually very true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's always challenging. There's always a lot of challenges, especially in these times. But in terms of like what you do and getting like also the confidence into the, your craft and being able to to yeah to do it in a way that's like yeah. harmonious and, and and flow I think that that takes time you know it's, it's a it's a craft so I think yeah. there's an amount of, of experience there that that pays off after after a few years yeah um, and I think it you recently got a CEO on board right. Uh, yes. But you and Hona are the founding partners, but you got a CEO. Talk to me about that because because that's an that's an interesting move. Uh, but mm. I, but I think it also sh I want to hear why did you need another person to come in and see why did you want that and and you know talk a bit about who the CEO is just just to because it it does it does sort of make it interesting. Okay, why did these guys get a CEO and they've been running the company for six seven years on their own? Uh, yes. you know why now and 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 you know how did that come about let's talk about that yeah that's a good question um i mean it's after many uh, we've been sharing that that role 
between the, between Ron and me, like the two of us. Um, and before we get in, sorry, your title is foresight director. I think we kind of covered that quite well. Yes. What what is what is Hona's title and what does he do in this? Uh... He's uh, he's a creative director. Creative director. Yeah. So, so he's he... very yeah. So he's he's very focused on how do we share our knowledge? What are the because you know most of our projects have a design component into it. Uh, we either create publications or we create uh, knowledge pieces or processes and and it's very focused on on like lifting that up making it Understood. you know not just like a a plain pdf but actually something that is more interactive and that people can consume it in a good way so, yeah, so you among all, among many other things that's that's yeah. what that title means but of course like we do a little bit of everything from from that to accounting and finance to yeah, as, cleaning, as cleaning the kitchen when, when all, you have to clean as all founders and 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 what is it called chief uh, cleaning officers do right like that's what you have chief to do cleaning officers yeah, yeah but you have yeah. to do everything right but but exactly. so so you and you two ran this you grew this and you kept you have been doing it for seven six seven years and then you decided to you know bring in someone else in the leadership position. yeah yeah that was a, something that we had in you know in our heads for for a couple of years because mainly because all the practicalities of running a business i don't know how it is to do it in all the countries at least in denmark it it there's a lot of bureaucracies to be honest uh, which think. is surprising because denmark which seems, is surprising no because it's like sorry to interrupt here but i think like i just keep seeing a bunch of the politicians that i follow on on twitter or on uh, on linkedin that denmark is top five easiest in the world for this and this i'm like have you heard of Delaware Corp? Have you heard of Stripe Atlas? Like I can set up a exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't a, know what a, lists they're looking at, but you no, no. It's it's very it's very. I mean, it's very smooth in many ways. Like yeah. most things are very smooth. Uh, but I don't know. At least in our size, we find it quite complicated. And I mean, it's not terrible, but it's it's, it's not super smooth. And from day one, I mean, you when we made the company, we we owe money straight away. So it's like. It's kind of zero. We felt like zero help, really. Or zero for being a small businesses. We felt that we were being treated as McKenzie or Deloitte. Uh, well, and we were just two guys in a basement. Um, so I think uh, navigating that and and maybe for some is easier. But I think when you don't have no idea about it, you kind of need to learn it, and that takes time. Um, and eventually, like we've been evolving that that way of running a business uh, and, and Rune is amazing at finding uh, things and tricks and how to how to run that um, but it, it was taking a lot of our time uh, just the practicalities you know into how do you how do you run the business and, and people coordination and sales and stuff like that um, and it just it just takes a lot of time from the work from the core from the pro that's our product you from know we don't sell shoes said, yeah. Yeah. exactly so we don't sell shoes or we don't sell our bottles like we sell like ourselves and our minds and our knowledge and that needs attention too uh, and of course relationships with people so so we always had that for a few years you know like we should get somebody that can help us get a good overview structure things out um run the business in in, in the sense of like having an overview of what's happening so we can focus more uh, on on specific projects or specific clients and develop that muscle right uh, but of course we were not just two but also we were not 20 so i think that that in between of being you know 
eight, nine, ten people is always a tricky part. It's a tricky size because you're not that big that you can afford to have a lot of people to work in maintaining the system, but you're still not that small that is easy. You know, it's still very complex and you and you need to coordinate holidays and uh, and budgets and things like that. So, so but we knew that um, we wanted a very specific kind of profile and we kind of didn't know many people with that profile. And indeed, we knew about her. She used to work at 23. She was the CEO of, of a company called 23, which is a great video company here in, in Denmark. And she had a really good kind of journey in there. And she's always been running her own company called Müllerhuse, um, the meeting house. Uh, and she's been very focused on this kind of process part and, and working with, with amazing clients as well. So we so when we we had a couple of coffees with her at some point and and just the f after our first coffee with her and she left and then Rune and I were like yeah she could be a good candidate for that and then we started revisiting that idea again and and we invited her again and just we were very direct and said like we think that you could uh, take this this role uh, we have no idea where you are or if this if this is even remotely attractive to you um, so it was kind of we just said it out there straight away very very openly and 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 luckily she said yes and of course it took a long time to she had to think things through and 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 evaluate but but she was very very pleased to do it and and she joined us she joined us on at the beginning of last year around this time just before covid so also you know we were like you were saying we were we worked a lot abroad especially in japan so like i was in japan in 2019 like 12 times um and just we were traveling so much and, and doing a lot of businesses abroad um and that was also part of her joining you know to 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 take care of, of the home base and uh, so well, we could be out uh, and that changed you know this year of course but we've been very lucky to have her and she's you know she's amazing She's very good with people and very good at organizing things and structuring things. Um, so we just as soon as the lockdown came, we flipped strategy, kind of destroy everything that we had in mind and build something new on the go. Right. And we're still in that process, you know, like kind of trying to navigate and surf these uncertain times. Talk um, to me about that. And... How I mean, what have first of all, yeah, I know I know did a little bit uh, person, uh, you know, personally, because I think my wife has friends who are friends with Dita and kind of this, uh, you know, Copenhagen network <laughs> you get into right. as, as, you know, the boyfriend slash husband. It's not that, it's not that big. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but, but uh, yeah, so I've, I've run into her a couple of times and we always had great conversations. So I knew she was very, you know, very, very good at what she did. And it was just great to sort of run into you guys. Oh, great. She's CEO now. Awesome. Um, but, but coincidence. Good yeah, coincidence. coincidence. But then, but then of course the timing was, you know, as the timing of the world COVID hit us, I remember running into you guys in, in our local cafe when I was sitting mm. uh, next to where you guys uh, have your office. Um, and, you know, we were like, yeah, this is going to pass. Nothing's going to be, you know, we were all hugging each other like we do normally. And then yeah, yeah. now, you know, it's been more than a year. So what is what has the last year been like for for Bespoke? How did you change your strategy? What did you do? What have you been doing? What is going on? Give me an update on that. Um, well, I think the first thing is that um, all of our international efforts were a little bit um, changed. 
So we had a, a big focus in Japan, for example, and we were going there almost monthly. And of course, that, that doesn't happen now, um, but we still have clients in Japan and projects in Japan that are very interesting. But of course, we have, now they are more remote and, and, and they are, yeah, a little bit different. But there's still that connection. But but we had to put in pause our um, intention of like being there a little bit more. We wanted to be more, like even more there than we, than, than we were put more efforts and energy on, on developing our business there because it, it was very strong and we have a really good network and a really good yeah foundation to to build our business there. So that, that we put in pause a little bit. Um, and tr like traditionally always, maybe Denmark was not as a very strong market for us. It was, I don't know, maybe 30% of our business was in Denmark. Um, but now kind of that switched and for some reason now we, we, we just started focusing on pro local projects um, and that's now it's the majority of, of our projects are here. So kind of this year has been about finding that way of working that's maybe more local. Um, that's not too much about traveling a lot, but more about doing long-term, very deep projects, um, which is also very interesting and developing our team as well internally. So so I think the first, of course, the first few weeks after the first lockdown, it was a little bit, what do we do? Because everything was being canceled and a lot of things that were planned in advance have been canceled. Yeah. But I think very quickly, like we were just surfing it and just going with it and try to to focus our, our efforts more within the Danish market and Scandinavian and German market. And that's been working really, really well. Uh, like. And also just kind of using this time to to develop our team, to develop like our method as well, to keep on working on that. Um, so it feels a little bit more calm and a little bit more, yeah, that that we have more space to breathe, which yeah. is which is really nice compared to the last few years. It's been very much go 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 everywhere, and some that's really good. It gives you a lot of energy and it. it creates a lot of opportunities, but it's also very taxing on yeah. on yourself and on your culture, because sometimes I was not here for weeks, you know, and, and, and I also enjoy working with 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 the team and having, you know, creating a culture that's that's uh, rich. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate uh, whenever I see you guys as Monday morning songs or something. I remember you guys sing every Monday or Friday or something. Yes, you yes. Did, every I, Monday. Every not Monday. now, but, uh, no, no, but, when, but yeah, it will come back. But it was it was just amazing yes. because I think like uh, of course I, f I follow you on, on Instagram and, and you know like I have a, a lot of other entrepreneur friends and people doing very interesting stuff. But I don't know any other company that has a Monday morning singing you know with the, all the <laughs> colleagues and it's it's a very Danish thing which I which I or I don't know if it is but at least many people in Denmark love to sing any chance they get so which I which I think is a lot of fun but it's also yeah. just really kind of uh, shows me that you guys. At bespoke really care about the team and the culture as you said you know your, your, your product is your brain your inside your your energy what you guys give you know uh, so i think it's uh, it's super it's really cool um yeah absolutely that that's why it's been hard these last few months with yeah. you know remote work is uh, it's been really challenging for us in in terms yeah. of culture yeah. um i mean it, it works really fine to get things done but uh, but i think I mean, not just for us, I guess, speaking for most people, then it's not the same to have a sense of colleagues and community and, 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 yeah. and a team around you. And 
for us, the cultural part is really, really strong. Yeah. And, no, and no, that's a little bit challenging to do across. No, this. yeah, definitely. I, I totally get that. Also with this, right? Like the reason why right, right. it's taken me so long to do my fourth, you're my fourth episode and it's taken me so many months uh, since the last one. Many reasons, uh, life, work, but also because I wanted to, I, I invest in a studio, you know, uh, exactly, buy yeah. equipment, you know, make it nice. Uh, but then it's COVID and it's like, okay, like, you know, my equipment is taking time to come because all the the world is slow. Uh, I cannot even invite guests over. I'm, I don't have the budget to give everybody a COVID test before they come no. in. So it's like, so I think it's like you, you adapt and you, and hopefully, you know, this conversation yeah. is, is interesting for people and, and, and hopefully you like it. And, you know, I've enjoyed it so far. We're not done yet, but I, I think what's really fun is that, you know, you adapt, but it's not the same. You know, it's not the same. No, it's not the same. As no, no, sitting no. In together, and then you know, uh, I, 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 the next, the next episode we do, I hope we do it in person. I want to have uh, mate because I keep seeing you put it up, and I've never had. Uh, is, is it called mate? The thing you guys, uh, the, is it called mate? What is it? Oh, called? Yeah, yeah, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I yes, don't even know uh, what it's South called. South American but, drink. Yeah, but it's like it's like I mean like I just, I just feel like so much happens when you're just sitting face to face. And talking about something. Yeah, you, versus... you have a you have a sense of the person, right? You're like, yeah, who's this person? How's it dressing? How's it sitting? Like, what is it looking at? I think there's there's a different nuance on on, yeah, on, I, on the personality as well. Completely, and I think it's also you know like we can do our best to talk to a screen and you know have this visual rep representation of you. But when I'm sitting in your office, or if you're in my studio, surrounded by our artifacts, you know, and, and talking to each other and having something to drink and talk, it's like it's it's the same as it was when the first humans were around that hasn't changed very much yeah and i think no, that is so true. innately in us and when people uh, yes. I, I i'm inviting a lot of guests these days and sometimes someone asks me oh what is the podcast about it's about that it's about having that connection that conversation with people that i like that i think are doing interesting stuff uh and that's really it like you know and 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 that's and I want to do that for for myself, uh, and I want to do that for you know whoever listens to this, and I think that's it, like or watches this on YouTube, or wherever they see it. Uh, but I think for me, it's just I I personally have missed that you know that sort right. of deep conversation with people to sort of really give you and every other guest that I have on the podcast the space to sort of think of your thoughts. I don't know that when was the last time you spoke about um um chaos pilots as much as we did right now no, that's been a while that's been a while and i think and i think you, know, you kind of forget yeah but i think it's kind of fun right and i think it's just i i enjoy i enjoy sort of just also hearing it because i can see it's very passionate uh, to you mm. uh switching gears a little bit yes one of the reasons we started this conversation was because you reached out to me and said hey maybe we should do like a futures podcast uh, yeah, and, yeah, and I was like, that could be really fun. So I think because every time, every time we meet, like we start, we yeah. end up talking for hours and about interesting stuff. And I was like, we should record this conversation. Yeah, like, and uh, I think, and I think what I think what's really fun is also I think we should, we should. I wanted to have you on to first of all, like kind of you know introduce you, uh, also learn a bit more about you myself, because every time we meet, it's always in a very social setting with a lot of alcohol. Or not every time, but most of the times. Yeah. So it's kind of yes. like you, meet, you talk to people and you go around the room. And I remember, I think when we first met was 
wasn't it that uh, Matthias and uh, Simon and uh, Philip, they had this uh, kitchen project? Uh, oh, yeah. Informal? So, I think that's where we met. Experimental, yeah. experimental kitchen thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think they're, that's they're, true. All, yeah, yeah. they're all doing some amazing stuff now separately. But, uh, uh, you know, I think, and it was kind of like, I remember like meeting you and meeting some other people there. And I was like, okay, you know, Copenhagen has some cool people. I was kind of going through this time in my life where I was like, oh, Copenhagen has a bunch of, you know, people who are, who are not very open and who are very close and you have to really get, and I was like, oh, awesome, you know? Um, and I think, and I think, so it's kind of nice that we've There's kept, others, there's others yeah, like exactly. me. Yeah, yeah. There's other crazy internationals who, you know, yeah. moved here for, for the women uh, and stuck around for other stuff. No. Um, yeah, we are, we are the external internals now. Yeah, exactly. Um, but on that futures note, right, I think, I think, it could be fun to, for the rest of the podcast, talk, pick a topic and, and I, and I haven't prepared you for this or we haven't prepared anything, but why don't we, why don't we just pick something that, you know, maybe that you've had top Freestyle. of mind or something. And then like, we just, we riff a bit on it. Do you have something you want to, that you were sort of thinking about in terms of future off something? What, uh... Yeah, actually. So um, I was, um, I was just writing this small piece yesterday, um, like a thought piece on, first of all, kind of the that more important than predictions uh, i think i find more interesting like the curiosities kind of the things that um that we don't know yet uh, or that we have no idea about um i don't know if you know about this concept of liminality uh so like a liminality like a liminal space is, yeah it, it's like a it's yeah. like a threshold like a like a transition of of from one place to the other but you are you are not what you used to be and then you are not yet what you will be, right? Yeah, that transitionary phase, right? Like sort of between, uh, like before you become a butterfly and, you know, after being a whatever, whatever the fuck. Caterpillar. Caterpillar. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm like a worm. I'm like, <laughs> exactly. So it's, a, so it's but it's, it's yeah. a beautiful, I really like that concept. It's a beautiful concept um, that I've been like, you know, always visiting for, for, for the last few years. And, and now I was just thinking, yeah, we are kind of in a in a liminal space right now. Like we are definitely definitely the world has changed. It would not be the same, but we don't know yet what will be. You know, we are we are kind of because we're still in the middle of it, right? We're still not out of it. We can see that there's some light at the end of the tunnel somewhere, but it's still very, it's still very um, blurry. So so I think I'm very curious about what does it mean to be in this liminal space of unknowns. Um, and what are the curiosities that we have today that maybe in 10 years we will like read back and say like, oh, that's that's what was in your head, right? Like if you ask yourself when you were 15 years old, what are you afraid of? What do you think will happen with your career? Who, would, who are you going to marry? Where are you going to be living when you are 35 years old? Like all of those questions that you really you really don't know because we, we, we like to look to look back at our lives and make sense of our lives in retrospective so it's like oh yeah then i did like you know i was telling my story about working in a in a studio and it kind of makes sense that i had this path da, 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 da. but reality is that when i was there i had no idea i had choices that i had to make and i didn't know if it would work or not when i applied to chaos pilots you know it was also like i didn't i couldn't explain it in the linear way that i did I couldn't say I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do a company like Bespoke and then I'm going to work in this. I didn't know. It was like I can make that connection now and look at it as a linear development now. But when I was there, I was like, ah, I have no idea if this is a 
good choice or a bad choice. So I'm curious about what are those things today that we don't know, kind of what are the unknowns and the, and the curiosities, like, for example, what's going to happen with uh, retail, like retail space. Like I was just walking this morning to the office and everything is closed, of course, but also a lot of empty and, stores. And, just to, and I'm in, like, just to put in context, your office is the city center of Copenhagen. So it's yeah, my office is, is here in Nikolai Plas next to the parliament. In so the it's the most like it's like all the shops commercial yeah, place. It's, it's yes. kind of like the high street, like the, the most popular uh, shopping area is very close by. It's right? the most busy area, exactly. Yeah, and so, everything uh, is closed down. I, so yeah. when I walk here, you know, I go through all of the big stores, and then and of course everything is closed now because of the lockdown. But then a lot of stores are empty, huge stores that actually were empty before the pandemic because you know it's extremely expensive over here. So. So I'm curious, like, okay, what's going to happen with that? Like, there's a lot of of businesses, and especially within retail, that are definitely not coming back. Like, something is definitely has changed. Um, and what's going to happen with that space? And then you have a lot of, you know, and then start wondering, like, what will be valuable, or what will be valuable in the future for us? Like experiences that we were sharing before, going to a restaurant, going to a cafe, like meeting with your friend, having conversations. So I'm like, is all of this former retail store are going to turn into like nice cafes or nice restaurants maybe or like new concepts of eating spaces that maybe did not exist before because you cannot replace a restaurant you cannot make a restaurant online in the same way so i think um that's one of the things that are that that i don't think we know yet because it will depend a lot on the um how extend the economical crisis will be afterwards and the changes in behavior and all of that but it's definitely something that it's very interesting to look into it. The same with travel, for example, like what's going to happen with travel? Like we know that something has changed. I don't believe that it will get back to what it used to be in 2019, at least within the next five, six, seven years. Um, and how is that transition going to be? Like this is definitely something going to change in how we travel and how do we do tourism and how do we explore new places um, and, and, and that is something that is very hard to to predict because it will depend on how the rollout of the vaccine will will will, will happen. Like, are there going to be countries that will keep on being closed for who knows for how long? Um, things like that, right? So, so I'm very curious about those those things that are very uncertain and very um, blurry at the moment. Yeah, and I think another. So, I don't know what you think about that. I think something what's really interesting that when while you were talking, I was thinking about it, right? Like, like also to take your earlier point, right? Like when when in 2019 you were in Japan ten times a year, you know, having a business doing really well, running around. Uh, we have to get we have to get to your obsession with running uh, in a second because I know you're a super super awesome runner. <laughs> um, uh, you <laughs> and I think and I think like what's interesting is that like in that sort of that sort of go 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 space, you don't have time to be liminal liminal. What what is the word you use? Uh, liminal liminal. You don't. I mean, I feel like maybe no, you're kind true. of you. Maybe it's happening around you, right? Like, but you, you don't sit down and you're like, oh, what's going to come next? You're too busy catching the flight, doing the work, uh, going out, partying, right. uh, getting up, running, eating, being healthy, you know, doing everything you do in your life. Um, and, and I think maybe because of the pandemic, many, a, a larger population of the world 
has been forced to be liminal or to think yeah, about, oh, what about my life, right? Like, am I doing the right thing? Am I in the right career? Am I with the right uh, person in my life? You know, uh, am I in the right city? Uh, you know, all you of have those... time to think. Yeah, you yeah. have time to think. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's bloody dangerous if you think too much, but you know. It's, yeah, yeah. In a it's beautiful, but it's also like yeah, but dangerous. I, yeah. But I think, I think, I think, <laughs> I think maybe, um, you know, on one side, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a student of history, right? And I think like what happens is that after a major disaster of any kind, and I don't want to compare COVID to the, you know, the world wars, but, uh, you know, to a certain extent, uh, you know, it's a, it's a much uh, safer, lighter version of the flu, of the, you know, the Spanish flu back in the, the later, you know, 1920s, uh, you know, 29, whatever. Yeah. So, and... I think what's really interesting is that, like, you know, if you look at what happened then, right, like it took some time and then people got into the roaring 20s where people were just uh, partying like crazy. And, the, you know, the, the, you know, before the wars kind of slowed everything down, there were 15, 20 years of kind of or 10, 15 years, however you see it, of, you know, this kind of boom happening. Right. And like a lot of art and culture. And I think, you know, where we are today, especially with the way the media is structured, right? Uh, like you and I are both on Clubhouse now, the new social media app or social app, you know, there's there's all the social media apps are, you know, more popular than ever. Every single tech platform is more popular than ever. Amazon hired, I don't know how many people, right? Uh, Tesla stocks are off the ground, right? Like, I mean, the world of technology is kind of having its boom day in mm -hmm. the pandemic because, you know, um, everything, it's gone online, right? Even if you don't want it to. And I was, I was advising a large corporate company for a while, right? And, and it's kind of like they've taken offline meetings and put it online, but it's the same bloody meeting, and it's just <laughs> in much worse fidelity because it's you know on on some uh, video conferencing app. Uh, <laughs> people haven't really sort of you know structurally thought about how do you do work online? How do you, how do you um, you know? build companies online and there's a few people of course like matt mullenweg uh, from wordpress and jason freed and and uh, david hanamar henson from you know Basecamp and hey who are kind of you know have been doing this for a long time so they are they've written a lot about interesting mm -hmm. stuff and they talk about some very interesting things um but i think your your point of you know retail changing i think clearly a lot of things are going to change you know but mm -hmm. i also think that the world is very stubborn and human beings are very stubborn. And once we get to a point where there's, uh, you know, 80% of the world has the vaccine or 85% of the world has the vaccine and countries where people don't care about the people as much because they're not as important uh, to, you know, the media, like, uh, you know, countries in Africa, countries in, in Asia, countries in parts of Latin America, where, you know, like people just don't talk about them and who gives a shit if they have vaccine or not, right? right? Like people will not care. Uh, and then some of the things in the world will continue as they are. I, I feel, but but I also think yeah. I think I think, I think like this kind of more fundamental human things will always get back. I have I have a problem with like people that say this we're never gonna touch again or never gonna hug again. I, I don't think so. I think I think that I mean in Denmark so people don't give a fuck. They're like everyone is hugging. Yeah yeah that's <laughs> but but for me you know like I'm, 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 I love to hug. I'm a hugger. So yeah. I'm like but yeah I can see that those behaviors might stay a little bit longer. But eventually I think there are those are small stuff that will that will get back. But 
Um, but if we think, I'm thinking about like industries or businesses that will die because of what happened now, and then they cannot go back again, just like Blockbuster did or like Kodak Film did, that you know now you wouldn't, you cannot resurrect them anymore because society has moved, right? Um, yeah, I think I think uh, I, I mean like. I remember talking to a lot of people. I mean, I've been in tech so, since two thousand seven, uh, six, seven, um, and and I, I feel like in an unorganized manner, right? I always live in the future. Like I always think about what's going to come next. For mm-hmm. and as a and as a startup uh, entrepreneur, like I never, I, the biggest company I ever ran was you know maybe around one hundred eighty people, but like that was the biggest by far. And I was a very bad leader. Uh, I was, I'm sorry, very bad manager. I was an okay leader, but I was a very, very bad manager. So I think for me, what I, I've never got to the corporate level of kind of being, you know, like uh, very ultra focused or I always kind of had a bit of a view around, of course, you're focused on what you're doing, but because you're so small, you have to be nimble and you have to kind of, you know, adjust and right. react. So I think it's my sort of normal status quo of thinking is that, okay, you know, I'm doing this podcast. Yeah, maybe it's in VR in a year. I don't know, right? I don't care. Mm-hmm, like, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, I'm trying to be as flexible as possible. Uh, yeah. But I do think. But you were sorry. You were you were pointing to something really interesting, which was like, you know, trying to replicate the offline world online. Yeah. And I think that's the wrong way to think about it because is the thing is we need to think about what is this new technology enabling, and understanding that it's not going to be the same. That like trying to do. A podcast like this way is not the same as doing it face to face, and it shouldn't. And it, but it also offers maybe something else. Maybe it offers a possibility to that I can show, I don't know, a space behind me, and you can show a space behind you, and we have a different kind of interaction that will be different if we're face to face. And the same with meetings, like acknowledging that this is not this, let's not replicate a real meeting, but let's make it something new, something that's exciting that maybe. It's, just like a video game that you will want to, you know that is not real. You know that is a new universe, but it has a value in itself. Otherwise, you will always be comparing fidelity because it would never be the same fidelity, right? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think there's, like, the, I mean, if we look at what sort of WordPress has been doing for whatever 18, 19 years, right? They're all about written word. They're very much about right. the work is done written word, and it's all about sort of you know. Uh, that is their focus. And I think Basecamp is similar. Like they're, in my mind, the two leaders. And there's other companies that do it. Todoist, which is a really popular to-do app, uh, where I think both the fa- the founders are originally Danish as well. And, and they're a completely remote team as well. And they've been doing that for many years. Mm-hmm. There's some other companies that do it. I think, I think there's definitely, you know, a huge opportunity for for maybe companies like yourself or other uh, other agencies or other, you know, kind of, um, I guess uh, futures design designers or design thinkers mm. to help these big organizations come up with new ways of communicating digitally where like, you know, the boss doesn't have to sit on your head to get the work done. Like you hear these horror stories yeah. of, you know, Zoom and other, other tools where people use it to record the screen of the employees to mm. see what they were doing. And it's like, really, okay, uh... You that's know? creepy. And I think and I think it's like of course That's creepy, man. You know, of course certain <laughs> certain organizations, certain countries, certain certain, you know, groups of culture, uh, that is very normal. Like I, I think I'm thinking about sort of Korea, North Korea and China and places like that where hmm. you know it's like you have to be in this line or you know, you're not allowed to be in the country. I mean, so I think I think, you know, there are certain places in the world where that is 
probably you know more um, that will be the, the norm. But I think in right. most places in the world, they care about outcome. They care about you know the process to the outcome. They care about you know our employees burning out. They care about you know you know how how are we quality of life as well as quality of outcome. So I think. I think there's a, there's a lot that's going to happen there. You know, one of the people that's going to be on my podcast in a few weeks, hopefully, is is the director of uh, one of the uh, I think the largest startup incubator in the world. It's in Paris, um, and nice. and she put up a, 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 a I think it was a, on Instagram. She put up something a, a few months ago saying that you know, okay, Zoom, can you please you know help people with positioning and like the lighting and all this stuff because like it's really annoying on meetings when people are like you know. And, it's, and it, it was interesting because I'm like, there's so many startups that are going to come out of that. Like so many people are going to innovate interesting yeah. ways of working. Yeah. People have already done it with interesting apps and it'll continue to happen. And I think, I think whether we like it or not, right, going back to your earlier point, right, like retail and these big industries that have been very reluctant to embrace technology, right, will have to do it to survive, right? Like they will have to right. invest heavily in design and software, like, you know, and, and every company will be a tech company in the future, I believe. I think every company is gonna be some- Already, form, man, I mean, already, already, you know, already right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Already every company has to be a tech company, even like health companies yeah. in a way. And that's also something interesting, like health, like I, oh, yeah. hopefully like people become more aware of, you know, the importance of taking care of your, of your health through like what you eat and what you drink and how you sleep and you know like this there's a whole science behind it that is that is quite powerful and, and I think it's gaining momentum because now this interest in trying to be you know healthy so you don't get sick if you if you catch COVID or um, and maybe that's something that will stay or, or and, and it's been happening for many years but it's, what's happening now is that a lot of those trends are being accelerated. So it's not that they were they are radically new things. They they are already there, but now they're being accelerated. And and we've seen this in a lot of projects where things that we've been working on that maybe we we could see in a horizon of five five years now are happening in five months, right? So yeah. all of this all of these things are like I mean we we could see that there was going to be a decline on traveling for environmental reasons but now of course due to COVID, like that just plummeted and and that behavior might stay because maybe that that was what it was needed to like make people have a new relationship with traveling yeah um, and it's not that travel will die of course it will not die but but it, but how do we relate to it might change right like this idea that it could just get a ticket tomorrow and go to berlin for the day and come back you know th that easiness of, of, of things and, and because it was so cheap and accessible as well, especially here in Europe, um, maybe that, that relationship will, will change and it will make you think twice about how much you move or, how, or where you are, right? Yeah. How is it, how, how is it evolving in India, actually? That's not some, yeah, something I mean, that I hear a lot about. Yeah, I think the thing is, like, in the beginning, it was really going crazy, right? There was a lot of, uh, because it's it's such a large country, such a big part of the country is, you know, very poor and doesn't really live in, you know, organized, sort of an organized housing manner, right? Uh, but of course, you know, what happened is that the government really, really put the fear of God in people, <laughs> that this is the worst disease in the world. Okay. And, and that, resulted, that resulted uh, in hmm. a lot of people kind of, you know, being extra precautious, right? Because 
one thing which Modi, uh, the prime minister, the current prime minister of India is really good at, right? He's a PhD in PR. Like he knows how to talk in a really smart way. You know, he's, he's, he's great at, um, at the PR aspect of things. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a good leader in many ways. He's a bad leader in certain ways, right? But you cannot talk about him being a bad leader in certain circles in India. You cannot talk about him, you know, doing certain things in not the right way, right? You cannot bring it up. I, I, I'm trying to get a journalist from India on the podcast soon to talk about some of the issues happening right now around the farmers striking. And I don't know if you heard that, you know, the, there's a huge, 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 huge issue in India yeah. where uh, a lot of farmers from Punjab, where uh, I'm originally from as well, um, are striking because of some major law changes. I don't know all the details, so I don't want, I don't want to speak out mm. of, uh, uh, about the specifics, but but like it's crazy because like one thing I heard recently is that you know the Twitter India uh, was um, uh, the, the government was telling Twitter that they have to ban certain accounts and they around Delhi where you know which is one of the biggest cities mm. in the world where a lot of the farming protests were happening they cut the internet in, in that area. Oh wow! So it's like oh, wow. it's like India is acting like a you know not like a secular nation that India is supposed to be. It's acting in a very almost authoritarian way right sort of and i think right and i think you know there's of course there's other sides of the argument and there are some reasons i don't want to pick any sides but to me just those actions clearly you know result in some issues and i think part of what talking about COVID in india there's still COVID. clearly there's india is one of the largest countries in the world there's a lot of COVID happening of course we've handled it much better than the us uh uh still and the numbers are still you know lower than the us but i think um as far as the details of it i all i know at this point is that the numbers are better you know but there's still a lot of restrictions uh much worse than hmm. uh in denmark and many other countries in europe uh and okay. they're doing that to make sure that people really you know um don't don't let, let don't have like another wave again because you know it, it can be really crazy uh but yeah. but people are like people are living their life like uh you know there's a there's a uh, you know a cafe in, in Mumbai that uh, you know uh, I know really well and, and they're good friends of mine and they're bu- they're busier than ever. They launched during COVID and they're okay. still running and people are coming. It's only takeaway and everyone's wearing a mask and like you do here. Uh, but of course, like restaurants are closed and you know things. It's it's the same as it is in most places in the world. But I think you know we have uh, a lot of things as a country that are going wrong while COVID is happening. So there's uh, the media is focusing on those things and less on COVID. That's why you probably haven't heard about it as much. But okay. yeah, I mean that's a whole yeah, because because you don't you you don't hear much about it, and it's such a big country that um you know what's going on there. Also, yeah. like must be really yeah. No, there's a, I mean there's a lot happening, and I think and I think you know India is one of those countries where you know I think COVID has um has shown a few cracks in the infrastructure. And and hmm. um, I hope I hope certain leaders you know take charge and and try to fix that. That oh, it's always been bad infrastructure in India. We've not been known for being an infrastructure, you know, uh, a, a country with good infrastructure. We don't have that. But uh, I know that. I mean, the thing is that like India is one of those countries where people love to talk, right? Like I have a podcast. <laughs> so it's very like I'm naturally doing what Indians would love to do. But but like it's your way of of staying connected yeah, to, exactly. I mean, but to the like, roots. 
but it's like you know we love to talk we have uh you know uh whatsapp i think it's very is, social yeah and, yeah. and whatsapp uh, as, a, as a platform has more more users than india than anywhere, anywhere else in the world uh you know there's like crazy whatsapp groups where a lot of you know people that are my father's and mother's generation get their news also from from these groups yeah, and yes. it's like and it's like you know that's good but it's also really bad because disinformation misinformation spreads really fast yeah so you know some idiot politician in some state in india will say oh if you drink cow urine you're going to be great against it's going to be good for you against uh, covid and you know indian ayurveda has a lot of uh, you know positive associations with uh, cow urine or whatever but you can't just generalize it to a disease you know like like covid and it's like and and i mean it's almost a little bit trump like a little bit right like there's this sort of yeah 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 you know charismatic politicians i say charismatic Jesus. with uh, you know some quotation marks because they're uh charismatic to some people clearly because they're elected but i i don't really consider them anyway we got off on a tangent um, <laughs> but uh, it's the same it's the same in chile as well actually like yeah i think whatsapp is, is, the, is, the, is the biggest platform yeah I, I i don't think it's that bad um for like some of the other latin american countries but from what i see they're they're, they're having a pretty good vaccine program running now and um yeah in general i think they're kind of doing an okay job. Um, I'm so impressed by Chile. Like I've never been to Chile, but um, I've, I, I, my interactions with Corfo and the Chilean uh, sort of mm. Chile when I was applying for the program, I was just like, you don't think of Latin America and a country that's organized. Uh, at least I don't. Uh, <laughs> but but clearly I was very impressed. Chile is super organized, right? So yes, yeah, I'm, yeah. Chile is a great country. So it's, it's, it's not too... Uh known outside um, it's a small country as well and compared to argentina brazil peru um but yeah i mean it's it has a little bit of this has a lot of similarities with denmark in the way of like it's very kind of to itself um and and there's a lot of like work ethics so like you know people work a lot and um but now there's been things are changing um there's been like a big uh, social revolution from 2009, from October 2009, uh, where people was basically demanding to change the constitution. Um, wow. So and yeah, and like it was a lot of violence for for many months, but that, but it ended up with, with a big referendum a couple of months ago where people voted a to change the constitution. Ago. Yeah. Oh wow. I, so I voted. I voted here. I went to the embassy and voted as well. So, and, so but it was like what 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 are, what are the results? Like what's happened? Like um, do you, can you talk? So about now, that? so I don't know if you know, but we had a, a dictatorship from in from seventy three to the late eighties. Um, so there was a dictatorship, Augusto Pinochet, and and he was a ruthless guy. Uh, but he also wrote the last the the, the constitution of the country. He rewrote it. Um, so for some, like a lot of the success of Chile is due to that constitution because it's basically um, creating the frames for a very neoliberal economy. And Chile is a very neoliberal country, like it's, it's a very capitalist country. It's like a little copy of the US in many ways. And it was an experiment of capitalism uh, in, in the 70s um, and 80s. Uh, and which means that yes the country is very rich and it has a lot of money has, has, has generated a lot of wealth but it's also one of the most unequal countries in the world 
right? So it's kind of this paradox that like when you look at the big number, Chile is extremely wealthy, is the richest country in Latin America, the, the most advanced. But for most people living there, you know, this, they, they, they don't earn enough, they work their asses off and it's not as, you know, if you get sick, there's no, nobody's going to help you with, there's no, everything is private, education is private, healthcare is private, the pension funds are private, everything is private. So if you're lucky and you have a good job and you can make a lot of money and you're going to have a good life, but if you don't, nobody's going to help you. And people just got mad, like you just got tired of it and, and, and they started demanding a change in that. And so there was a lot of massive protest for many months at the end of 2019 and the government decided to, okay, let's make a, a referendum and ask people if we want to change it. And and that was postponed due to COVID until, you know, October, I think last year. Um, and yeah, we voted and I voted too. Uh, and then it was like 80 per 80% of people voting to, to change it. So now there will be a two years or something like that period where there will be a new election of people that will write the constitution. So a diverse group of people, politicians, uh, normal citizens, uh, all kinds of people from all walks of, of life will be chosen to uh, to rewrite the constitution uh, over like a couple of years. So and then there will be an, another referendum to vote if you actually want that or not. Uh, but but it's, I think it's, it's really nice because it's, you know, it's really Asking you, going again to the, this topic of futures, asking yourself, what what kind of country do you want to be? Like, yes, we have this history, this happened, but what do we want now? And uh, people want to include more the like Native American, like the, the indigenous people of, of Chile, uh, more gender equality and less inequality in terms of status and things like that. So, so I think it's, it's a good thing. It, it, the, the, the challenge will be like, how do you balance that with also having a thriving economy as well? Uh, because I believe it is not either or, it can be balanced on those two. Um, but it's, it's very exciting. I think it's very exciting as an experiment as well of like, how do we, how does a society redesign itself and rethink what do we want to be? Um, because those processes are very slow, you know, like they, they, they usually take many, many decades and you kind of forget that you are in that process. Um, so, so it's very exciting that, that people is like rising up upon that. But that was a movement that you, that you could see around the world as well. I mean, in Hong Kong or in Paris, in, in France, uh, you know, in, in India as well, like the, the protests with the farmers, you know, there is, I think this, this is the, the years of the social, the social voices to be heard. Um, so there's, and it's kind of also scary because, you know, governments, react in different ways and, and, and a lot of them become more authoritarian. Luckily in Chile, that was not the case. There was a lot of violence from the police that now needs to be investigated. But in general, it was, you know, they kind of listened and they, they're kind of like giving space for those voices to to be heard. Uh, with, like compared to like Belarus or places where you hear that people go to the streets and then just shut them off, you know, like yeah. with an iron fist. Um, and that's problematic, I think. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, first of all, exciting for 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 Chile, all the people and the government that you know this the referendum was passed, and I think that I mean, any time you can rewrite your constitution, like that's that's a big deal. Like it doesn't get bigger, it doesn't get a bigger deal than that in your country. So it's exciting. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, that's amazing. Um, I think maybe maybe one of the last questions before we wrap. I think I'd love to sort of you know talk about 
you know, you grew up in Chile, you kind of then, you know, found your way to, to the Denmark, and now you kind of have this awesome um, agency, uh, futures agency, I don't know what you call it, <laughs> you know, the awesome company you're running with cool people who sing on Monday mornings, and you guys do these awesome projects all <laughs> around the world, you know, with great companies and helping them. You, you make know. it sound so nice. It is nice. That's, from the I, like, outside, I like your storytelling. From the so. outside in, right? It sounds, it looks, sounds really cool. And it is really cool, I think. Of course, you know, there's a lot of things, you know. It is nice. It is you, nice. A lot of things you don't, you don't see and a lot of things you have to deal with. But I think one thing I wanted to sort of touch on is that, you know, where where do you see yourself like in, in, in the future? Like you as a, as a person, Nicolas, like mm. do you sort of aspire, you know, to be in a certain, because you think about the future a lot, like, you know, for yourself personally, like where, how do you, how do you see yourself in the future? Like, what does that look like for you? Hmm. Oh, that's a deep question, man. Yeah, I like, <laughs> I like to, I like to finish easy. <laughs> finish easy. No, I think uh, right now, actually, I think I'm, I'm, I'm more focused on, on surfing these times. At some point I thought about maybe moving to Japan um, kind of like a while ago and, and I tried that for a while. I think that I'm still open for that, for moving to a big city and try that for a while. But now we have so much going on here that's that's really interesting and it's really exciting with Bespoke. So I don't, I don't see kind of like... Um, I don't see what, anything concrete where um, it's exciting to think of like what if we want to expand the concept of bespoke to different to different geographies like Japan or somewhere else in Europe or, the, or North America and and how could that journey be like I think that that could be something exciting to like you know expand like open a new office somewhere else and, and start a journey that would be that would be exciting and that would be a good uh, a good challenge um but nothing i have nothing in concrete i think this year has been for me a lot about just really being present um where i am right now um the last few years have been insanely crazy of traveling and developing stuff and and i i don't i don't think i was feeling the i wouldn't say stress but like the the, the tax on it like in my body and uh, and mentally as well, like you kind of like you're saying, like keep on keep on just running, 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 and you're never in this space of asking yourself, okay, where where am I going to this? And so between business and like running marathons and visiting friends and you know doing all of this interesting stuff, it was very hard to to find that space. And now after a whole year of of like s slow speed, I think um, I'm very comfortable in 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 this liminal space. I'm very mm -hmm. comfortable in knowing that I think we're all going collectively as humanity and as society, we are going to a new place, um, but we don't know yet how that could look like. And and I'm, I'm fine with it right now. I think there will be a time maybe in a few months where it will get more concrete what kind of new directions we could take um, and what the new directions I could take personally. But but for now, I'm, I'm very comfortable in the in, the, in their uncertainty. I find it very interesting because usually I'm not like, I'm very restless most of the time. Right. I'm always kind of thinking like where to go and like, now I'm, mm, this is it's okay, it will pass. It's like a storm that comes and shakes things up and and then it passes. So this will pass. Yeah. And this this moment will pass and there will be times to, it's a period. And and, and it will there, will, there will be new periods to, 
to maybe redefine kind of very in concrete where where I want to be. But yeah. but I'm in general I'm always curious and I'm always open to to explore new. I love meeting new cultures and new people and yeah. challenging myself. I like like you. I think we had a lot of conversations as well about what how it is to make a home in a in 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 a, in a foreign country um, that you know you're always going to be foreign. You're always going to you can integrate as much as you can, but you're always going to be foreign. You're always going to uh, have that kind of third space where you're inhabiting. And and that's beautiful. And, and and coming to terms to that and like loving that, I think it's it's great. It's like, no, yeah, I'm from, I feel very Danish in many ways. After 10 years, I have adopted uh, a very Danish way of being and, and I love Denmark and I love the Danes and I love my life here. And I also love Chile and I love my Chilean background and heritage and, and, and culture um, and I don't need to choose. I can I can be both. I can be uh, contradictions in many ways and, and I like that. So so I want my life to continue being to being that, you know, to be curious and maybe adopting a third culture is not is not bad. Um, so I think so yeah I'm, I'm very open. I think that is that is I mean in a, in a funny way, right? That is kind of very futuristic of you <laughs> because because whether we, <laughs> whether we like it or not right like i i, I know that there was there's a comedian that i like he made a joke his name is russell peters uh, this is a very old joke he had he was oh saying, i love russell yeah, peters man exactly so he had, wow, he had he's this, so funny yeah i love it he, he had this old joke which which he said which was kind of like you know like you know sort of people from iceland and cubans little ice cubes you know like and i think sort of <laughs> sort of you know like i don't know whether he, i forget i'm i'm, I'm uh, you know not give, do, not doing the joke justice but but i think it's kind of funny because like i'm indian uh, i'm married to to a danish woman you know we have a we have a, a indo dani danski kid uh, you know who's a one and a half and she's amazing and i think i mean you're right i think you know whether we like it or not right like the world is blending and you know people from chile are going to end up in japan are going to you know, japanese people are going to end up around the world mm -hmm. and like vice versa like there's a lot of these interesting things happening and people who are comfortable with that uncertainty people who are you know maybe their formative years they they had to you know like deal with some of these issues being right being a 20 something year old chilean studying at chaos pilots right like you had to deal with some stuff not not to say that yeah. like it was hard or not you had to just deal with certain things identity and stuff like that yeah yeah and you only you only become aware of your identity when you leave yeah. that's the thing you know like when when i left chile i became aware of like oh that that's my culture yeah. and even till today you're still always discovering things and it's in the contrast that you find that that culture uh, difference and it's very humbling and 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 yeah i don't i try to you know i take it as like you know just gifts, you know, it's gifts that you have to, for me to adopt a Danish culture and to and to love it and and, and like it, it's a gift, you know, is and I don't need to yeah, choose, I don't need to like. It's beautiful. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I couldn't yeah. agree more. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think. And even, same, same it was, it's really, it's really like a, a cliche, but like I, I took one of these DNA tests like a few years ago and uh, and then they all, like, I, ha I had everything. Dude, I'm, I'm literally um, the mix of the mix. Um, I had everything except India, your country, ah, okay. and Australia and Russia. But all the rest, I, will, I, have, I have of everything, of everywhere. 
Was there one country very... that was a, like a big part? Like, was there like one that stood out that had a big percentage? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was mainly like Spain. Spain, okay. Yeah. yeah. Spain and Native American. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, but there were like sprinkles of everything. And, and when think... you see the map with colors, it was like beautiful all over the place. And I was like, wow, I know that is very cliche to say, but, but it's something I didn't expect that uh, reaction uh, for me to see that, that was like, oh, you know, maybe I do come from, you know, all of these different people that moved around and that were restless and, and, and kind of started accepting that and finding that very beautiful and, and, and made sense for me. And why do I always feel this restlessness of, mm. or more, more than restlessness, it's more like curiosity. I'm very curious and I'm very open. And, and when, it, wherever I go, I kind of blend in somehow, you know, like, uh, I don't, I kind of adapt, yeah. adopt and adapt the, the the culture. So maybe that's where it's coming from. I don't know, but at least for me, it made it made sense when when I saw all of those yeah. lights in the map uh, awesome. lighting up. It was it was beautiful. And so and okay, so the, maybe maybe the, this is the last question. Maybe uh, the, uh, but why why do you run so much, or why why did you run so much? Because you're clearly what is your best marathon time? Like what is uh, your fastest marathon? Uh, how was that? That was two forty-eight. That's that's insane. Like under three hours. Like I'm not a runner, but I know that under yeah, three-hour yeah. marathon is pretty amazing. Two forty-nine is crazy. But no, I think it was was faster. I don't. Yeah, but, yeah around that because I, I had I had a lot of uh, a lot yeah, of runs. Yeah, because I remember one point twenty nineteen. But but how did you get? I mean, like, have you always been running? And and talk to me a little bit about number running. Like two. You're sorry. Probably, 243 I, yeah, I've always been running like on school. I was not like as a runner, but yeah, I, I did run a lot. I played a lot of basketball like, like when I was in high school. So that was part of it, of the training, but I was not like a runner. Um, but then maybe in 20, 2008 or something, I started running races in Santiago, like urban races. And then when I moved to Denmark, I continued. Uh, but in, it was in 2013 that I at 14 that I did my first marathon and then I kind of started really getting into running culture uh more and more curious about running culture and running marathons especially so I run so far 12 marathons uh, oh. around the world because I also find it as a way of seeing the world so I don't instead of just going to visit a place I like it to go and run and then you know see around so I've been I've been running everywhere like in Europe and the US and Russia and Japan and South America and and I found that as a really good way of seeing of seeing and interacting with people and since 2016 I've been part of a running club here an urban running club in, in Copenhagen it's called uh, Embro like Norbro running club um, and it's just a fantastic group of people that I have a lot of friends from there where you know you can have guys that are running you know two hours and 30 minutes marathon, like insanely fast. Uh, and on the other end, people that just really chill and go very, you know, mm. uh, very relaxed around the lakes. So 
is you know the whole spectrum and and it's people that is just very friendly and very social and it's been a good way of of socializing of meeting new people as well uh, from all walks of life you know there's teachers there's people working in business there's djs that's students there's nurses and doctors and all all kinds of people and it's it's always very inspiring to 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 create relationships with maybe with people that otherwise you wouldn't meet maybe yeah. because that we have that in common yeah. um so that yeah that's been really good and, and i had a few a few years of, of very hard training the last year has been a little bit slow because yeah. of i think covid and i was supposed to run boston marathon but that would cancel and then yeah without races then there was not too much training and i was i was a little bit sick as well i had a concussion in my head oh, so shit. i've been a little bit um yeah, yeah a little bit a, a little bit taking it easy so no. but hopefully this year i can maybe get back into it a little bit nice. i really want I'm, i miss running marathons and i miss yeah. the the thrill of going to a place and like you know yeah meet meet all the runners and and and, and see a place from from the street you know when you're right yeah. it's just amazing i have so many beautiful memories of i don't know running the moscow marathon oh wow and then like being being running in this like six lanes avenues with the guards with machine guns and then like seeing like you know some peter's statues and the kremlin and they just this beautiful you have these beautiful images on yeah. that, that it's almost you, so. it's almost like when you run one of these big marathons it's like the city is like you know is is like the best version it's of the yours city. it's like it's like shown to all the runners right yeah. right right and paris is paris is beautiful yeah. now, new york i mean like yeah. i love it i love it i think it's i miss it a lot but uh yeah you just need to be patient to get back into into it again. Yeah, but again, but what, what you were asking why I run, and I think is because um, I like myself more when I'm running. Uh, I'm, I'm, it forces me to sleep better, to eat better, to work less actually, because then I need to be, you know, I need to leave at four so I, I can train at five. So it forces me to have more structure and better habits, and and. And then that version of me, I like it more. I like it more. So I think that's it's a good way. To... I, I love I I love running the feeling, the high that you get yeah. from it. But you know, sometimes it sucks. Especially here in Denmark, it's windy, it's cold, it's rainy. So um, it's not that it's amazing all the time. So it sucks many times. But the habits around it, like everything around the habit of running, for me, is, it makes my life better, and and I, I just feel more happy. So so it's it kind of. It's a it's a foundation for the other things in my life. That's a good way to end it. Uh, I think it's I think we all need to find that whether it's running or something else. But exactly. it's, it's awesome. music, yoga, music, whatever. whatever you do, yeah. just, but uh, yeah. thanks a lot, Nicolas. It was awesome. Um, thanks, brother. Really, really appreciate uh, you taking the time. Nice to catch up. Yeah, it was good, and we should do it again and, hopefully um, in person soon. Yeah, in the in the cool studio. And, <laughs>